Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church on this Sunday morning. Let's begin by praying. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all your gifts. We thank you that when we were your enemies, you gave us Jesus Christ, your son, to die for our sins. He was buried, and then on the third day, you raised him from the dead. So that whoever simply believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior will never perish, but has eternal life. Father, this morning we would ask that the Holy Spirit would teach us, give us the ability to concentrate, mesh together the Word of God that's already dwelling in our hearts with the Word of God that we're going to hear this morning, and also to motivate us to apply what we've learned. We'd like to pray for the needs of the saints, particularly those who are under persecution or in great suffering this morning. And in that regard, I'd like to pray particularly for the Christians in Pakistan who have been enduring tremendous persecution at the hands of the Muslims. We just pray, Father, that you would deliver them from that and that uh, they, you would open the hearts of, of whoever it is that's ready and willing to at least hear the gospel among the persecutors. And uh, like, uh, like Paul, when he was in prison, that, uh, that the word of God would not go back to you without performing its work. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning, let's uh, sing a a congregation song together at this time. If you would please stand. Yeah, last song was to make sure you stay awake this morning. All right, a couple of announcements before we do get started with the message today. First of all, next Sunday is October 1st, which means, yeah, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper next Sunday, October 1st. Pastor Kingsley is now at the tail end of his missionary trip to South Africa. Please continue to keep him in prayer. He did send an update. Um, I'll just give you a few highlights of it. Um, He's been going to malls and sharing the gospel and also distributing gospel materials that uh, he received from Lighthouse Bible Church. And uh, he's finding that um, the gospel can be shared without any hindrance in South Africa, which is good. It's unusual. Um... And that there are people who are open to hearing the message. Um, most of the people that he gave the tracts to accepted them without hesitation. And, uh, of course, he's given credit where credit is due. That the, really the conviction of the Holy Spirit, of leading souls to Christ that is working. Um, unfortunately, in that country, there are also um, charismatic churches, a lot of them. And so they need to hear the gospel grace and get out of a system where they believe salvation is by work. So please keep prayer keep that in prayer and just like the united states in in south africa they have a lot of these monster churches six thousand seven thousand people three services and he said that they're really fire this is how he put it fire and brimstone money money praise and worship in that order i suppose so you know he says uh and it's interesting he said think about it if one-tenth of the congregation in that auditorium would hear the accept the free gift of salvation by grace you know, what a difference that would just make, those people in that country. So he asked us to pray for that. He also would, he's also praying that uh, people in the West um, would, he puts it, not eat, no longer have their ease in Zion. That's his expression. Meaning that, you know, we, should, we can ra- be raised up and take on the task um, of evangelizing this nation as well as, of course, other nations around the world. And so that's his prayer. Um, he did mention that there was a, a, he was passing out gospel tracts 
at the gate of, of the church that I was just describing, he was just describing, and there was a lady who assisted him with the distribution, and she had talked about the fact that her mom was an alcoholic, and she had lost three of her siblings to alcohol. So she was looking to be, she was looking for solace. And he, and he asked her how to explain um, how to be eternally saved, and she couldn't do it, and he immediately gave the gospel to her, and, I, and she believed. So, in summary, the hearts of the people in South Africa are open. They need the gospel. And the way he puts it, he says, it just takes one believer to man up and go. And I told him, and that's you right now, Kingsley, because you were the one who did that. So please continue to keep him in prayer as he wraps up his journey for safe travels back to Canada, where he lives. Once again, as I mentioned in the prayer this morning, there's great persecution going on now in Pakistan, where the, where the Muslim majority, and it's like 99% of that country, is persecuting churches. In fact, one pastor that we know through Grace Bible Church Pakistan was actually shot defending his church. Not only that, but soon after that, the police went into the hospital and arrested him and forced him to say that he had shot himself because they didn't want, it. They didn't want the, the shame and the, all of that that goes along with it. So, man, huh? Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, but so please pray. Please give whatever support you can at this time. It's critically needed in Pakistan. All right, let's begin with today's message. The title of today's message comes from our passage, as usual, and it is, My Peace I Give to You. My Peace I Give to You. That's one of the reasons why I selected the song I did this morning is because it talks about the peace of God flowing like a river, okay? And how we, no matter what's going on around us, in our hearts, we can have that peace which surpasses understanding. That's going to be our subject this morning. We're going to look at it really across the Bible, Old Testament, what, 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 what happened in the book of Acts, what, what's reported about it in the New Testament as well. So let's begin this morning in John chapter 14, verse 27. John chapter 14, verse 27, and we will begin our message today. John 14, 27. Jesus speaking to his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Once again, as we've seen many times in this upper room discourse, Jesus is trying to comfort his disciples yet again. They're still anxious and upset about the fact that he's going to be leaving them soon. As we've seen earlier in this chapter, he had promised them that the Father would send the Holy Spirit for that purpose, to comfort them and to teach them in his absence. We saw that twice. We saw that in verse 16 and 17. We're not going to go there, but just by way of review. And then we saw it again last week's message, verses 25 and 26. And now he's going to comfort them in still another way. And it's going to be by another gift. Now he's going to comfort them by giving the great gift of his peace. My peace I give. It's a simple expression, but it's, very, it's, it's powerful. There's a lot there because he's going to talk. He says, my peace, and he's going to distinguish that. He's saying, my peace is nothing like the peace of the world. And my peace I give to you. I don't expect anything in return. It's a gracious gift. 
And then he talks about why it is that they need his peace, because otherwise their heart would be troubled and it would be fearful. And it is no different for us today. We have a lot of things that can cause our hearts to be troubled. I mean, this morning, for example, just contemplating on um, the descriptions that Pastor Kingsley gave of South Africa and especially the persecution that's going on in Pakistan, how can that help but not have our heart be troubled by that? And then fear. We, 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 if, we're, if we're not resting in the peace of Christ, we, we will have a lot of fear in our lives. And the thing about fear is that once it gets a hold on you, it multiplies. So once you're afraid about one thing, then it's easier for that next thing to come. And you're afraid of that too. So your guard has been, your gates have been demolished and the fear rushes in. And so we need the peace of Christ every bit as much as they did. Even though, of course, it's different now. Okay, we, 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 we are not in the presence of the Lord, like physically, right? He is now in heaven and we have the spirit. And yet we have our own challenges, don't we? You see, now in, in the church, what we face ultimately are the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. They're invisible. That's why, as we're going to see this morning, it's so fantastic that the peace we have is also beyond our understanding. Just like we can't see our enemies now, okay, and they're trying to attack us, they're trying to, you know, a really simple playbook, trouble their hearts, get them to be afraid. Why we have the full armor of God. It's also why we have the peace of Christ that's guarding and garrisoning our hearts. And so, so this, is, um, this is what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at what the Word of God has to say about this great gift that Jesus Christ gave his disciples, his peace. And it's his peace and only his peace that will ease their hearts and soothe their fears all the time. All the time. You know, we... If we're left to our own devices, if, if we're trying to work it out ourselves, we can probably sort of come up with a way of thinking for a while or, 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 or try to deliver ourselves from whatever it is that's causing us fear and anxiety. And so for a little while, maybe we can, quote, give ourselves a little peace, but it doesn't last long. Because something else is going to come along. And maybe we're going to have a weekday, a day when we're vulnerable. And then left to our own devices, we're going to fail in our ability to preserve that peace in our hearts. That's why the only peace that really does the job is the supernatural peace that comes to us, given to us by Jesus Christ, and also, also stirring our souls and protecting our hearts by means of the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. So it all fits together, these gifts that Jesus is giving. The peace, the Holy Spirit, to be taught, to be comforted, to be protected. And we see this morning that he sets his peace apart in opposition to another kind of peace, doesn't he? It's the peace that the world offers. Now I say offers intentionally because it, it, the world doesn't actually give any peace that's worth anything, right? But it offers it. It kind of puts it out. It's enticing, you know? We see that now in our, in our country and in our world, don't we? I think about back in, the, at the, in, in 1938, here's history buffs. You know that um, Great Britain was the, only, was the last country standing in Europe to stand up to the Nazis. And yet there was a leader in Britain 
that thought he had established peace with, with Hitler, a man with whom you could never trust anything that he said, and yet he did. And, of course, that was a false peace because soon after that war broke out again in, in Poland, for example. But that's true across the board when we try to rely on the, the, any kind of, quote, peace that the world is trying to give us, you know, that if we would just give in over here, if we would just give up our freedom a little bit, then we'll be at peace again. That's the world's peace, and it doesn't work, and we're going to see a little bit about why it doesn't this morning. So not only does he talk about the peace being his, the peace that's a gift, he also distinguishes it really opposite between the peace he gives and the peace that the world offers you and, and, the, and the disciples. So given that, we're going to follow the lead of Jesus here as we try to answer, and, and not try to, as we answer a simple question. What is the peace of Christ? He talks about it here. He says, I'm giving it to you. He's, he's distinguishing it from the peace that the world gives. It's a peace that, that touches our hearts. It's a peace that changes our hearts. Well, what is it? Well, it turns out that the word of God across the scriptures talks about the peace that only God can give, the peace that only Christ can give. And so we're going to take a look at, in a couple of minutes, what the Bible has to say about the peace that Christ does give. But remember now, he's making a distinction too. He's saying, here's my peace, here's what it's not. It's, good. it's a good way, I've mentioned this often, but it's a good way of learning. It's why we see it so often in the Word of God, these distinctions. Now, you want to understand this, but the way to better understand it is to see what it's not. The, ba- the way to really appreciate, for example, f- salvation is to understand condemnation, for example. Okay? So, and, of course, all of that is going on because there's ultimately a conflict between God and Christ and the enemies, right? And in fact, we were part of the other side before we believed in Christ. And because of that conflict, there are two sides of most coins, okay? And so there's false teaching, and there's teaching from the Word of God, okay? And and how do you recognize the false teaching? By its opposite, right? Okay, so we're going to do that this morning. We're going to first talk about, therefore, what the peace of Christ is not, what it isn't. We're going to just spend a little time on this because it's going to help us by seeing that contrast, understand what the peace of Christ is. Okay, so what is the peace that the world offers? What is it? Well, I'm going to give you some attributes of it to begin this morning. The world offers a peace that's conditional. Yes, you can have peace, but it's going to cost you over here. You know, you can sacrifice your freedom in the hope that you're going to have peace. You know, you can placate a dictator in the hope that that he will not attack your country, for example. It's conditional. If you do that, then I'll give you some peace. That's how the world sees it. By the way, it's based on power, isn't it? The the so-called peace that the world gives is, is basically power that is establishing it by force. And as long as you're on the right side of that power, you're okay. If you're on the wrong side, you're not okay. If, you're, if, you're, if, the, if, a, the, if a militarily strong country is offering you peace, then because of the, how the world understands it, you think you've got it. On the other hand, if that's not true, then according to the world's peace, you're not going to have it. That's why, that's why the song we sang this morning is appropriate. 
In other words, no matter what happens, it is well with your soul when the peace of Christ is in your heart. You see, but the world can never give you that. Can never give you that rest. Don't look for it there. Okay? That's why I often warn people not to, not to find their salvation in political realm or even in, even in the military realm. It's not there. There's only one place that you can find rest for your souls. And that's with Christ and with the peace of Christ. So the world offers a peace that's conditional. If you do this, then you'll, you'll, you'll get what I'm offering you. It's also temporary, isn't it? It's temporary. We always think and hope that we finally establish the conditions where peace will be ours forever. Right? I mean, for example, World War I was called the war to end all wars. Think about that. They thought that if only we could be victorious in this one war, we would have peace forever. After World War II, they said, if all the nations can just get together and work things out around a table, then we'll always have peace. Then the Cold War hit. And then after, I'm giving a history lesson, but it's a good illustration of the world's version of peace, isn't it? Because then you have the Cold If only we would have enough nuclear weapons to force Russia to bow in submission to our superior economic and military might, then we'll have peace forever. And then when we defeated the Soviet Union, well, certainly we're going to have peace for. We're in the, what would they put it? We're in, the, we're in post-historical times. That's actually how they said it. Well, no, we're not. Look at what's happening in Ukraine now. And it's true in, this, in our cities, in our streets, and across the country and across the world. The peace that the world gives is a false temporary peace. And worst of all, it's deceitful. It, it, it offers what it cannot deliver. It tries to convince you that, that, that these are conditions for peace when actually the opposite is true. It's very deceitful. We're going to see an example of that in just a minute. But the world lies about the peace that it's offering. And it almost always comes with strings attached. That's why, that's why I said it's a simple expression that Jesus says, my peace I give you. What does that mean? Freely. We study grace freely without any strings attached. Not because you've earned it at all, but because of me, the Lord says, and how I love you. And how because of Christ, and we sang about this morning, not the, the sin, not in part, but the whole, because of him, now we can freely receive and God freely gives us amazing things and his peace is one of them. It's, he's established it, not us. As we'll see this morning, the peace that he's talking about is peace between us and God. We've been restored, we've been reconciled to God himself and there's nothing that can touch that kind of peace, right? Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who can really be against us, right? And the love of God, nothing will ever come between us and that. That's the real peace. That's the, pre- that's the peace that's permanent. The peace that is unconditional, okay? The world always has strings attached to the so-called peace that they offer, that they tee up, but they never deliver. We're not going to see an example of that in the Bible. We're going to look at the situation during the, in Israel during the reign of King Hezekiah. Those of us who have been studying Isaiah perhaps remember, it's been a while now, but we studied what happened between King Hezekiah, who was a good king. Many of the kings that followed David were bad, 
right? Fostered immorality, fostered paganism, but this Hezekiah wasn't one of those. Nevertheless, the Assyrian army was approaching Jerusalem and it looked invincible. It looked from human eyes that there's no, there's nothing that the people in Jerusalem can do to prevent them from being overrun, destroyed, wiped out by this army. Well, in advance of that, you see, the king of Assyria, pretending to be big-hearted, offered a kind of peace to Judah and her king, Hezekiah. Let's read about the kind of, quote, peace, though, that the king of Assyria offered. Please turn to Isaiah 36. This is an example of the world's peace. You see, in our passage next, the world here is is embodied by a king, by the king of Assyria, a powerful king. It's a good illustration of how the peace in the world works. Okay, it's always based on power. Okay, in the world system. That's what makes it so revolutionary to understand that Jesus Christ gives it freely and it was by his weakness, by, as, as Psalm 22 says, becoming a worm and not a man, dying on a cross. And then by, we see that and we understand that this is totally different from anything that the world understands or can offer because, because it surpasses understanding. There are some things, you know, God also, the Lord also, in the book of Isaiah says, my ways are not your ways, right? My way, your, your ways being human, the flesh, the world, you know, don't think about what I have to offer in terms of anything you understand about the world's version of this. Let's look at Isaiah now, chapter 36, verse 13. Whoops, getting ahead of myself. Isaiah 36, 13. Then Rabshakeh stood. Now, that's, a, that's the emissary. That's the ambassador from the king of Syria that's, giving a, that's offering this so-called peace. Then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in Judean. And he said, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. What's funny about that is that the only one talking about the truth right now is two people. And one of them is King Hezekiah. And the other one is where he's getting his information from the Lord, which is the prophet Isaiah. They're the truth tellers. And Rabshakeh and the king of Assyria are the liars. And yet, say this is a deception. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. For he will not be able to deliver you. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Now, what's also interesting is clearly the king of Assyria had spies, right? He was spying out the liberty. What the message, the very message that Isaiah had given to, to, to King Hezekiah was what? The Lord will deliver you. Trust in the Lord. He will make sure that the city of Jerusalem is not given into the hand of the king of Assyria. And by the way, that, that turns out to be the truth. But the world is represented by the king of Assyria, lies and says, no, 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 no. Why don't you look at my military might? You know, who is this King Hezekiah? Why would you trust in him? He doesn't have an army. I have the army. He hasn't had victories. I've had the victories. All right. Then he go, then again he goes into verse 16. A so-called ambassador of peace. Do not listen to Hezekiah, your king. For thus says the king of Assyria. And here it is. 
make your peace with me. Make your peace with me. Right? Neville Chamberlain, make your peace with me, Adolf Hitler. I only need a little bit of extra land. That's all you have to give up, and everything will be fine. Same thing here. Make your peace with, this is the world's version of peace. Make your peace with me, all right, that's the king of Assyria, and come out to me. (laughs) Just, well, we'll have peace, then you can come out, and you don't have to be worried about my army anymore. It'll all be great, right? He describes it. Again, a total lie. Notice what he says. Make your peace with me and come out to me. And now, if you do that, there's a condition, right? Eat. And eat each of his vine and each of his fig tree and drink each of the waters of his own cistern. What's that? A pseudo piece, right? It's just, he's describing what they would like it to be. And so, they, so they're being tempted by their version of it. And they're saying, well, that, yeah, that sounds good. That's really what I want. Because any offer of peace is only as good as the character of the, of the one offering it, though. Again, notice again in, in, in verse 16. Do not listen to your king Hezekiah, but thus says the king of Assyria. Make your peace with me and come out to me and eat each of his vine and eat each of his fig tree and drink each of the waters of his own cistern until. See, it's temporary. Until, right? Until what? Until I come and take you away. Was it, what kind of peace is that? He said, look, I just want you to come out of the city. We'll shake hands and smile and have a picnic. And, you know, for a little while, I'll keep you in your own land because I know you like it. And you can, you know, get the food and the drink that you were accustomed to. And until. Until what? Well, now, it's still looking out for your best interest here. But I'm going to come soon and I'm going to take you away. To a land like your own land, there's the lie, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Verse 18, beware that Hezekiah does not mislead you, saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered his hand from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharim, Sepharvaim? And when, when have they delivered Samaria from my hand? What is he saying? As far as the eye can see, you know that the so-called gods of these other countries have not been able to deliver their people at all. You can see it. You can hear it. You know the reports. As the Assyrians marched down south, getting closer and closer, they wiped out every country and everything in their path. What makes you think it's going to be any different from you? Just make your peace now while you still can. That's what he's saying. On my terms. All right. Then he goes in verse 20. Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their land from my hand that the Lord would deliver Jerusalem from my hand? What is he saying? Basically what he's saying is, is Yahweh, the God of Israel, is no better than any of these false pagan gods. Now, if that's not a lie, I don't know what is. You see, so it's a faulty reasoning. But our flesh can latch on to that sort of thing. You know, this country is invincible. We better just make our peace with it now while we still can. Rather than saying, no, we've, our, our God is the God of peace. 
He's the one that will protect us. He's the one that will keep our hearts at ease no matter what happens. We know what kind of world this is. Jesus said, in the world you will have trouble. He didn't say you might. He didn't say, you know, if only you can make peace with these powerful people, then you won't have trouble. He says, no, mark it down. My people will have trouble in this world. But then he says, but don't worry, because I have overcome it in a way that the natural mind, of course, cannot understand. But we can understand in the sense of reading what the word of God has said. And by faith, we know that indeed he has overcome the forces of evil, right? Overcome the flesh, overcome the root problem of all the war in the world, which is the flesh and sin. That's why, again, what a great way it was expressed in the song we sang this morning. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Now, that's the ultimate peace right there. Because because Jesus did that for us. We, when we believe in Christ, are reconciled to God the Father forever. And that's the only peace that really matters. Why? Because of the character of the one who's giving it. Because it is a gracious gift. Because it is permanent. We're going to see all these things just in a minute. But I want to give you one more example of, from the Bible of what the so-called peace from worldly people, really is. Look at, well, I'm going to give you a statement, and then we're going to look at a a passage in Jeremiah. So it's actually going to be in Jeremiah 6, all right, in a moment. I'm going to set it up, however. At this point now, Jeremiah is attacking the leaders of Judah, including false prophets, including their priests, getting close to home. And by the way, we, we tend to want to think about peace and the absence of peace and lying as being out there, you know. Well, th- those people out there, you know, because they're woke or whatever, you know, that's where, that's where the problem is. But the Bible consistently says that the worst problems we're going to have is by false teachers who we think maybe are, are telling us the truth. That's the worst attack. Why? Because, because that's the, the, the funnel. That's the means. That's the way in which the prince of the power of the year can get inside and make, do an inside job against us. That's the thing we really got to be careful about. Amen. He's, what he's saying is these people, the leaders, the priests, the prophets, are give, trying to offer you a false peace. It's the peace of the world. These are worldly leaders. They're not believers. They're worldly. They may have titles that sound like they're spiritual or legitimate. You know, after all, it's the high priest. After all, it's the so-called prophet. Be careful about this. Be careful about somebody, as, it says, as Jesus says, that comes to you in sheep's clothing, but inside are ravenous wolves. How do you know? How do you discern? Because of the word of God and the mentorship of the Holy Spirit. God is on your side, by the way. He's not some bully in heaven trying to say, okay, now I'm giving you a false teacher and you better recognize him. Otherwise, everything is going to go wrong in your life. No, he is not willing, first of all, that any should perish. And he's on our side. God is for us who can be against us. So he, of course, wants us to recognize the false prophets, the false teachers, and he's going to give us amazing power to do that. We have the mind of Christ, it says in the book of 1 Corinthians. Nothing can beat that. Of course, we have to listen to that. We have to listen and say, you know what? I'm going to keep my eyes on Christ and his word, 
And I'm not going to pay attention to what the world is crying out to me about, what my own flesh is trying to tempt me to do, the lies that I know are not from God. I'm not going to pay attention to those. All right, but let's see how Jeremiah describes the peace that comes now from the so-called leaders of the nation. Look at Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 13. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 13. He's going to point out, by the way, the true motivation. The true motivation. And he's going to mention one of the biggest motivations of, of, the, of worldly people that are trying to convince you that they're on your side and that they're going to give you peace and you're going to, everything's going to be fine. Jeremiah 6.13. For from the least of them, these are the leaders of the people, so-called, from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. Do you think that we're facing this in our country today, by the way? Do you think that just maybe the people that are our, our leaders are really in it for the money? Right? Follow the money, you know? Ross Perot, right? Follow the money. That's a big thing, okay? People, what's that saying? They're saying they want something, and therefore they're going to try to convince you of whatever they need to, to get what they want. From the least of them to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. And from the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely, lies, deceit. Verse 14, here comes the so-called peace. They have healed the brokenness of my people, what? Superficially. You see, this isn't the peace that surpasses understanding. This isn't a permanent change in our relationship with God. It's a superficial thing. Well, you know, things are looking pretty good today. I mean, I don't see what the problem is. And I still have a job. I mean, I I don't think there's any threats out there. My church is perfect, right? No. No. Actually, they have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, and this, it's, it's cheap and easy to say, by the way, they can say peace to peace, but there is no peace. See, Jesus did the opposite, didn't he? He didn't, I mean, he did say it, but what he did was he purchased it and he gave it to us freely. That's not, that's not how worldly leaders act at all. They'll say it, peace, peace. But there is no peace. Such and such country, they're okay. They don't, really, they don't really want to hurt us. They want to just trade with us. Everything's fine. Peace, peace. But there is no peace. Were they ashamed? Again, these are the leaders of this country that, that's supposed to protect the people, right? Were they ashamed because of the abomination they have done? They were not even ashamed at all. They did not even know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. And at that time, I will punish them, and they will be cast down, says the Lord. He gets the last laugh. And we ought, to, we ought to rest in that, no matter what we're facing. It can be bad, what we're facing. But we need to understand that there will be a time when the Lord will set things right for us and for the, and for the whole world and the whole universe, for that matter. All right, so much for the peace that the world offers. Because what we really want to look at this morning is not the peace that the world offers, but the peace that Christ gives and has given. So for the remainder of this morning, that's what we're going to look at. What is the peace that Christ gives? When Jesus said to his disciples, my peace I give to you, 
What is that peace? We're going to look at 10 things this morning that the Bible teaches about the peace of Christ. The first one we're going to look at is in the Old Testament. Because the prophets in the Old Testament saw the Messiah. Now, they didn't know his name. Okay, They didn't know when he would come. There were a lot of things that they misinterpreted, right? The people of Jesus' day. Yet the prophets saw, foresaw that there would be a Messiah, a king in the line of David, who would establish peace for Israel. And when his kingdom comes, when he comes in and establishes his kingdom, which, by the way, will never end. We're going to see that passage, in fact. So, so even the Old Testament foresaw the peace that God gives as opposed to the world gives. I want you to see that now in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Isaiah writing about 700 years before the birth of Christ. There was much turmoil and threat and sinfulness and all kinds of things going on in his day, just like ours. And yet, he had a vision. He had a hope. He had a hope that he shared with the people of his time. It was an amazing hope having to do with a peace that will never end. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. That's a government that I want to be a part of, by the way. That's a government that I want to see rule my country. Right? A government that rests on the shoulders of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Notice, there will be no end to the peace that he will bring. He will be on the throne of David and over his kingdom. So when the Messiah comes and sits on the throne of David and establishes his kingdom and the government will rest on his shoulders, and at that point there will be peace, he will be the prince of peace, and it's a peace that will never end. Again, verse 7, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with, right, with justice and righteousness. By the way, I want to say this. I don't know if you, you may have heard a slogan in the past, no justice, no peace. That's true. <laughs> That's true, okay? No real peace. Thank God we have a God of justice and righteousness because you can't have peace without justice. You can't really have peace without the righteousness of God from which the real peace flows. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David or over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. This is a permanent peace that the Lord offers and brings. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. That's a promise. Okay, that's the first thing, that the prophets foresaw that there would be a peace that would be established for Israel that would be forever. And that's the second point. The peace of Christ that he's talking about when he says, my peace I give to you is a permanent peace, unlike what the world gives, can offer. It's permanent. I mean, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that what we yearn for when you just, you know, like we, we want to be at rest. And yet, because of all the things that rob us of peace, we can't. And so it's only when we understand that there is a peace that will never go away, 
There is a peace that's permanent. Don't you want that one? I sure do. And yet it's a peace that surpasses understanding. So you're not going to recognize it with your eyes. It's not going to make sense according to how the world thinks. Okay? It's not going to make sense according to how you were brought up to think. It's not going to make sense based on the teaching in schools in this country or the history that they give or the slogans of politicians. It's not going to make sense. But it is going to make sense for those who have the spirit in our hearts, the word of God dwelling deeply. It's permanent. It can never be taken away. It's eternal. Look at 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 33. We're beginning in the Old Testament. Okay, the Old Testament that foresaw a future time when the descendant of David would sit on his throne and there would be peace. There would be peace and that peace is going to be permanent. It can never be taken away. It's eternal. You know, my fervent prayer this morning is that Christians around the world would recognize what the Word of God has to say about peace. Just understand it. Let it comfort you. Understand it's the only way it's going to come around. It's the only gift of peace that matters because it's the only one that's a gift and it's coming from God, the God of justice and righteousness and sovereignty. 1 Kings 2.33 So shall their blood return on the head of Joab and on the head of his descendants forever. But to David and his descendants and his house and his throne, may there be peace from the Lord forever. Peace from the, on earth. There will be peace from the Lord forever. When Jesus Christ sits on the throne of David. So that's the second thing. It's the peace that Christ offers is permanent, eternal, can never be taken away. Third, we've seen this already. The peace of Christ is a gift. It's a gift. There's no strings attached. You know, a lot, a lot of people, this is one of the, the banes of my existence is the false teachings out there that the, what God is doing for the church is conditional. That, you know, okay, he's forgiven your sins, but... You see, you've got to keep confessing them or else he won't forgive your sins. Sure, you have salvation today, but man, if you just take a wrong turn, that salvation is going to be taken away. Of course, what I just said, those two things are lies. I hope you understand that. I'm mimicking, right? Because no, you're, you're, the sin, not in part, but the whole, has been carried away in the body of Christ on the cross. Do you believe that? Do you, do you live like that? How often do you beat yourself up and think that there's something else i got to do now that I just committed that sin? What do I do? What do I do? The wrong question. What did God do? That's the right question. What happened at the cross? Eyes on Christ, not on ourselves. The peace of Christ is a gift. My peace I give to you. There are no strings attached to the peace that Jesus gives. And it's the grace of God that provides it. The grace of God. Grace of God means God is a giver. He gives freely with no strings attached. He gives to the undeserving. Don't look to anything about yourself and try to attach God's gift to it. You can't do that. It's all from him and for him, by the way. So the grace of God provides his peace and it provides that peace to the ungodly who believe in Christ. 
There's the comment. Ungodly, just believe in Christ. I want you to see something that we see again and again and again in the New Testament epistles. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 7, because this is the first time it shows up. It's a simple expression. And I think over time, I don't know about you, but there's a temptation with this particular expression to kind of gloss over it. To kind of treat it no differently maybe from somebody who would walk in, a Jewish person who would walk into the house and say, Shalom. You know, without any, without any understanding of what they're saying, right? It's kind of a similar thing with this expression, I think, for a lot of Christians, and myself included at times. Romans chapter 1, verse 7. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, believers, righteous in the eyes of God, what? Grace to you and peace. Notice, grace to you and peace. How does peace come? By the grace of God. And and Paul writes this again and again and again at the very beginning of most of his letters. Grace and peace. Okay? Grace and peace from God our Father. That's the only peace that matters, isn't it? You know, if my peace is from the, the leader of China, what good is it? If my peace is from the United Nations, what good is it? If, if the so-called peace I have in my heart is a result of a, of a preacher, so-called, who is teaching me lies, teaching me a prosperity gospel, it says, if you just sow a seed, man, your life is going to be great. You're going to prosper. No. Only one matters. From God our Father. Grace to you. It's a gift and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a gift. Fourth. The peace of Christ means that we are reconciled to God forever. So what am I saying? I'm saying tie in the two words together. You can't separate the peace of Christ from our reconciliation with God. They're, to a large extent, they're one and the same. Because that is on the basis of being reconciled to God that now the peace that has been established at the cross, now is the Holy Spirit... Is, has opened up our hearts and poured it in, just like the love of God. Okay, so let's take a look at that. Let's go and look at another passage, 2 Corinthians 5. The peace of Christ means that we are reconciled to God forever. Reconciled to God forever. He will no longer ever consider us his enemy. He will never again think of us as ungodly. That's why that word saints is so important. You are, if you're a believer in Christ, you are a saint. You are wholly set apart in God's eyes. Okay? He's already declared you to be righteous in his eyes. Not because of anything you did, but because you believed in what Christ did. And the righteousness of, of that act on the cross, now God says you believed in that. That's the only thing you could do. Okay? You can never produce this for yourselves. But because you have stepped into the way in which I want to give you everything. Believing in the gospel. Now you have it. You have the peace of Christ. You don't have to make it. You don't have to go searching for it. You don't have to ask for it. You don't have to do anything. It's already been provided to you. 2 Corinthians 5.18 Now all these things are from God. Notice, who reconciled us to himself through Christ? Has it already happened or not? Yes, it has. Past tense. You, if you're a believer in Christ, God has already reconciled you to himself forever. 
He has said, I, I am, you have my peace, my oneness, the fact that you and I will never, have, will never be in conflict again. You're my child now. We have been reconciled on the basis of the blood of Christ, as we're going to see in a moment. God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What's the ministry of reconciliation? Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And notice the next expression, not counting their trespasses against them. Why? Because the blood of Christ is is taking care of the sin problem. So when we offer the gospel, we don't do it on the basis of counting their sins against them. How many many so-called preachers of the gospel, that's the first thing they do. Yeah, going to hell. I know your sins. You're sinful people. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, I've mentioned this before. The Holy Spirit convicts people of sin. (laughs) Period. Our ambassadorship is to follow the example of God himself in not counting their trespasses against them. That's why it's, it's futile for the church to spend all this time trying to attack and judge the world for its sinfulness. It can't be anything other than that, and it always has been. And I don't know why we're spending any time trying to fix it out there. only way to fix it is God's way, not our way. To preach the good news of Christ and to understand that only by the grace of God can anything change in any human being. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he's committed to us that word of reconciliation. Number five. The reconciliation has already been secured, and by one thing, the blood of Christ, his death on the cross, purchased, as it were, the reconciliation of all things to himself, including us, right, is secured by the blood of Christ. I want you to see, we're going to look at a couple of passages now. One, the first one in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 19. Colossians 1.19. Colossians, the great book about the deity of Jesus Christ, who he is, the gloriousness of this person, Jesus Christ, God and man. Colossians 1.19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Verse 20. And through Christ... God reconciled all things to himself. Having made peace, it's already been made. We don't have to make it. We can't. God has already reconciled all things to himself through Christ. Who made God made peace through the blood of Christ's cross. One way and one way only. If you want to understand what God has done about war, about conflict between people, about our state of war with God himself, he has had his son die for us. And by his death on the cross, that's the, that is the place, that is the means, that is the ground on which God offers his peace and salvation to the whole world. Is now, so, so verse 21, though you were formerly alienated, so you were the enemies of God, you were at war with God, hostile to God, Engaged in evil deeds. And I love that word formally. 
Not true of us anymore. Not that we don't sin, but we're not in that condition of alienation. Yet he has now reconciled you. Christ has reconciled you in his fleshly body through, through death. I don't know how he can get any more graphic than that. That God reconciled to you in Christ's fleshly body through death. That's another thing that we should keep in mind every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, by the way. In order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. We studied that passage. Of course, it goes on in verse 23. We studied that. If you want to look at that, you can check out the series on Colossians. Okay, one other one. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Go back there. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now, notice the order, have been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. See it? Same message. We've been reconciled to God through the blood of Christ, the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt. We should, we should be happy. We should rejoice. Exalting God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because through his death on the cross, we've been reconciled to the God of the universe forever. Through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Six. The peace of Christ flows, I mentioned this already, from the righteousness of God. This is most clear in the Old Testament. Although it's also in the New. Look at, look at Isaiah chapter 32, verse 15. Isaiah 32, 15. The peace that God has offered us through the death of Christ, the reconciliation, the peace of Christ, flows from the righteousness of God. You see, this is why it's superior. This is why it it blows away anything that the world could ever offer. It's solid. It's tight. There's nothing that's ever going to change this. The very righteousness of God, who he is in his perfection. Okay, that's where the peace that God has given us comes from. Look at Isaiah verse 32, starting in verse 15. Until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, And the wilderness becomes a fertile field. And the fertile field is considered as a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness. And righteousness will abide in the fertile field. And the work, notice this, of righteousness will be peace. God has set his righteousness to the task of establishing peace between us and God through the death of Christ. That's the work of righteousness, will be peace. And the service of righteousness, here's the application, quietness and confidence, and there's that word, forever. That's the peace of Christ right there, that it flows from the righteousness of God. It's a forever thing, and and we will have quietness and confidence whenever we rest in that peace rather than anything that the world has to offer. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Romans 5, 1. 
Therefore, notice the order, having been justified by faith. What's right? What's justified? That we've been declared righteous in the eyes of God. As a result of that, we have peace with God. See, it's the same relationship. From the righteousness of God flows the peace of God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Seventh, the peace of God guards our minds and hearts. That's what, that's, see, we just read in the book of Isaiah that there will be a time when the peace will be visible, manifested across the nation of Israel, across the whole world. Nature itself will be transformed. But that's not yet. And yet God offers, Jesus offers his peace to us. Well, what kind of peace is that now? In our hearts. In our hearts. Notice, the, the peace of God guards our hearts and our minds because that's where the battle is. It's not against flesh and blood, right? Against the forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so the peace of God guards our hearts from this attack. It banishes fear. It banishes worry. We can't have peace in our hearts if we have fear in our hearts. We can't have peace in our hearts if we have worry and anxiety. What's the solution to that? Focus on what God has done for us. It's very simple. You know the answer. Look at Philippians chapter 4, though, verses 6 to 7. And ladies and gentlemen, I am not going to get through all ten today. Well, even though I don't get through them, they're true, they're real. Maybe I'll come back next week and finish it. Probably not. Maybe. We'll see. I'm not going to get through them today. any event, Philippians chapter 4. This isn't a bad place to end, actually. Verse 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing. So if you are anxious, it's for nothing. <laughs> You've just wasted some time. Okay? Because you don't have to be. Be anxious for nothing. So now, if I'm about to be anxious, if I'm, if I'm dwelling on something... And it's bothering me. And I don't know what to do about it. Okay? I know that if I keep dwelling on it, it's just going to get worse. I'm going to be more anxious. I'm going to be more worried. And I don't know what to do about it. Here's what you do about it, by the way. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When you're having anxiety or fear, just pray to God. Give it to him. And then forget about it. Now, you may say that's impossible. Well, no, it's not. Why? Because it's the peace of Christ that surpasses understanding. If you try to figure it out, if you try to think it's some kind of mechanic that I do in order to produce it, you'll never get the picture. And you won't be at peace because you'll, you'll be still in your own mind and driven by your own flesh and forget about it. But if you, if you just give it to the Lord in prayer and supplication, and by the way, with thanksgiving, which is a wonderful thing, because you're thanking God already for what he's going to do. That's a beautiful thing. That, that's faith, right? I give it to you, and I believe, I know you're going to put my heart at rest. Let your requests be made known to God. And then notice verse 7, the peace of God. That's our subject today. The peace of God, which surpasses what? All comprehension, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. Our, our minds cannot get their, 
they get, can get, they can't fathom, our mind can't fathom these workings and it doesn't have to. In fact, it's a glorious thing that we don't have to apply our mind to this particular thing because, you know, in our innermost thoughts, sometimes we just blow up and, and never more so that when we're anxious and worried and afraid and guilt-ridden, can't produce that, only God can. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Bank on it. Isn't it wonderful that not only do we have the sort of the, 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 the truth, the facts, and we can rest on those, but in the moment when we're experiencing that anxiety or that fear or that worry, we know that we can simply pray and ask God for what we need, whatever it is. Be thankful, because, not because you have to be, but because you really are. Because you're saying, you know what? Whew, I've been able to give this over to the Lord, and I know he's going to do the best thing. I'm happy about that. I'm grateful that he's given me all these things. And simply ask, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus doesn't get any better than that. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you today. As always, our thankfulness, Father, flows and increases the more we understand our plight before you gave us the gift of Jesus Christ, our own lives, before we believed in Christ. We just thank you, Father. And as it continues now, your peace, the blessing, the word is alive and powerful, the promises that you've made to us. We thank you for all of that. And we ask this morning, Father, that we really would be ambassadors of the gospel of peace. That we would understand that you're not holding the trespasses of people against them. And neither should we. Rather, we should announce the great declaration of the fact that you have established peace between man and you. And you have reconciled all things to yourself. Hasn't It's not visible yet. But it's you've accomplished it through the blood of Christ. And all we got to do is let people know the truth about it. And we ask this all, of course, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Um, I will, uh, you will see me, hear me next on Thursday if you're able to join us. Either, uh, well, either here, which for some reason nobody seems to be able to do. I don't know, do they shut the roads down? on the, all the approaches to Federal Highway on Thursday at 6? I don't know. We would love to have you. I'd love to have you. You know, there's nothing, when we talk about Bible study, there's nothing like face-to-face for that, right? So please try. Maybe it's too early. I don't know what it is. Let us know. If it's too early, maybe we can change it. I don't know. But um, you can, and you can come on Skype, all right? And we welcome that too. We really do. All right, you are dismissed. Enjoy this day. Understand where your, the peace really comes from. Don't let the world rattle you, all right? Because you don't have to. Just go right back, prayer and supplication. Well, you know the rest. Just read it in the Bible. All right, have a great afternoon. Thank you.